Welcome to the podcast that's dedicated to making you a faster cyclist, the Ask a Cycling Coach podcast presented by Trainer Road. I'm Coach Jonathan Lee with our head coach, Chad Timmerman. Hi, everybody. Our CEO, Nate Pearson. Hello. We are going to answer more of your cycling and triathlon-related questions today. You can submit them at trainerroad.com slash podcast. We will read all of those questions every week, and then we put together a list of questions that we feel is educational and informative and entertaining as well. Uh, and we'll put that together and answer that every week. Uh, for those that are not, uh, I guess that don't know this, you can join us live also while we record this on our Facebook page or on our YouTube page. You can find us just by searching trainer road and uh, we live stream. So you can ask questions and everything else live while we do this as well. Uh, with that, uh, something else to mention is that our Facebook podcast group, there's a lot of folks in there now. We're getting uh, we're getting well into the thousands. It's building quickly. And lots of questions are asked there. If you have uh, questions that aren't necessarily like, you know, if it's like a customer support issue or a problem you might be having or a question you might have around that, you can always just contact our support agents because they're almost always available and they're trained to handle those sort of situations quickly. Um, but if you have, you know, things that you're doing for training that you wanted to share or ask that sort of a thing, then put them on there. There are a ton of other like-minded folks like the rest of us on there. They can help answer those. Um, I guess Reddit too, right? Yep. If you're not a Facebook person. There's a Reddit, uh, they, so that's a community. We don't run that one, but we're involved in it. And the, uh, the admin of that Reddit forum, they put the, uh, or the moderator, there's a question there, like what features you want to see in trainer road. And I'm trying to respond to every single feature request that people put in there. Um, there's some smart people. I know some of them I'm like, they've hit so close to home on what we're (laughs) that like, I can't, um, Or like, it's hard to respond. Yeah, they're like 60% <laughs> of the way there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, but it's a, I don't want to say the 100% what we're going to do because, uh, of course, it's a, yeah, yeah. it's a, Open I think what we're going to do is unique and it's, it could be a competitive advantage. So I just kind of wink at them. Yeah. If I wink at you on that forum, it's because you're really smart. <laughs> yeah, you're really smart. The other thing I want to mention is, yeah. so we're talking about three different communities, yeah. but there is the, uh, trainer road beta group yes. on Facebook. And, um, I love this one. We're putting in all like the new stuff in there and getting feedback. Mm-hmm. And I just put a question in there about um, syncing favorites. So right now we don't, this is this is a, a definite problem that we have is you can't go on the website, mark some favorites down and sync to the app. Mm-hmm. You got to do it in the app. And then if you reinstall, it only stays on the app, um, which is frustrating. So we want to we ask the question of if we do favorites, we want to sync through all the apps, but do you want to create folders or not? Mm-hmm. We got like, I think there's like 50, 60 comments on it. And this is the great part about this is that everyone's kind of like, well, don't do folders, do tags. Mm. And if you do tags, then you could you could have things organized multiple ways. Yeah. Someone explained it as a difference between Gmail and Outlook. Outlook's all about folders. Gmail is about tags. Yeah. Our design team is going to have to make it so that it's you can tag things and still make it easy to, mm-hmm. to find out. But I think based on the feedback, that's the way we're going to go try to approach it now. It's based on tags. So, yeah, so that's an example. If you want to push us mm-hmm. forward. Uh, be in that group and respond. Yeah. And you get early access to certain features. You can test things out for us. Um, yeah, we'll make you a guinea pig for us. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, the other thing that we wanted to mention for those that listen to the podcast pretty regularly, we're working toward a 40 K TT time trial. We are, or all three of us. Shoot. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Thought that happened already. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's supposed to, uh, where all three of us are going to, uh, square off and it's going to be a state championship for Nevada. I'm just going to cover a quick little fact with this. Cause lots of people ask like, like, well, the state championship, that's your 
district championship, right? Because we usually belong to the district, which is Northern California, Northern Nevada in our region. Uh, but this is just going to be a Northern Nevada state championship. But that doesn't mean that if you aren't from Nevada, you can't race it. Of course you can. So you can come and race that. It's uh, The reason why you would want to is because it's a pan flat course in Loyalton, California. Well, it's pretty darn pan flat. Yeah, very flat. <laughs> and you get a, uh, it's also like a, the elevation that's really good. Yeah, it's the perfect mix, right? It's right around 5,000 feet. So that's like that tipping point where you start to see uh, performance drop too much when you go higher than that. Mm -hmm. But then if you go lower than that, then you see wind resist, or I should yeah. say the density of the air yeah. affecting you. Yeah, so you can go fast. It's a good way to get a PR on the course. Plus we'll be there. Um, we're going to have at least 10 trainer own employees yes. because they are volunteering. Yes. <laughs> we're paying for them to go out there. And uh yep. I, I I just want listeners to beat us. That makes me yeah. happy. Yeah, it'll be fun. <laughs> when I see people, like, thing, yeah. I use Trainer Road and then they smoke us. Yeah. So when you go, so if you join our Facebook podcast group, if you just look for the trainer, Ask a Cycling Coach podcast group, you'll find it on there. Um, uh, if you look that up, then you'll see, we'll have this posted up, uh, a registration link. Uh, just shortly after we record this podcast, you'll see a registration link up there for you. So you can click on that and register. Um, so and wait, when is it? Oh yeah, we should say that, right? Um, so, and actually one thing I did want to mention with this too, is that the course I believe is going to be surveyed at 40K. So since it's going to be surveyed at 40K, like you said, in terms of setting a PR, this is definitely a good opportunity to set, mm -hmm. like or a legit one, like where you can say, yes, this was yeah. 40K. And no cars too. Yep. Uh, yeah. yeah. If, you, if nice. you do it with a course with cars going in your same direction. It's a huge benefit. Or a point to point with cars going in your direction. Yeah. Uh, you're taking off very many minutes. Yes. Depending um, on the amount of cars. Yep. Uh, so this is going to be on June 30th, and that's going to be at 8 a.m. Uh, so I think that it actually, they say 8 a.m. I think registration and everything else, if you want to do that, uh, you know, if you're registering late or picking up a number. No, I don't think you can do race day. Typically, yeah. you can't do race day registration. Right. So I think that you, if you're picking up your number and stuff, I heard they'll be there, I think, at around 6.30 or 7. So... Um, so June yeah, 30th, 20, 2018. Yes, this year. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Please, yeah. not next year. Let's but not I mean, <laughs> people will be listening to this <laughs> a, a year from point. now and yep. be like, what? Decades. Decades. From yeah. decades. decades. Yes. 100 years. Uh, something that we teased last week that we should probably go into more detail on now mm -hmm. uh, is a dirty. So we talked about how Jeff Kabush got third place in Dirty Kansas, and we analyzed his performance and what he did in order to get there. It's some pretty interesting stuff. And I have learned once again that I do things wrong compared to the pros a lot of the time. You no know way. what I mean? <laughs> Believe it or not, right? Um, some interesting stuff with this. So uh, for the, I'm sure pretty much everybody knows, but if you don't know Dirty Cans, a 200 mile mixed surface race, uh, mostly gravel. And it's got a lot of really sharp flint rock in that area. And it's just nonstop rolling hills. You'd think you'd be pan flat if it's Kansas, but it's just rolling, rolling hills nonstop. I think that you get somewhere around eight or 9,000 feet of climbing after 200 miles. So I know that's, you know, somebody scoffing at that, that climbs a ton in a short amount, but the point is it's not flat. Uh, it has usually four aid stations or four stops within that. So you just break it up around 50 mile marks and it's hotly contested, like really fast riders. So Kabush got third um, at this one and it, there were a lot of tactics and, and a lot of tricky stuff, but some interesting things, at least what stood out to me most, and you can go onto our blog, that's blog.trainerroad.com and you can see the whole report that we have there. You can actually join me later this afternoon if you're in the Facebook podcast group and I'm gonna be recording like a screen share video and I'll do it live with all of you so then we can make it more interesting. Interesting. And that'll be up later on on our YouTube channel. You're going to look at his data. Yep. We're going to go it. over 
everything. And I'm going to walk you through basically the analysis of, of how we look at that ride. Cool. Uh, but some interesting stuff for hydro, for nutrition, because that's huge on such a long day. I think Jeff did 11 and a half hours roughly, or somewhere around 11 hours. So that's, that's a long day, right? Um, it is. He was going for <laughs> 250 grams of carbohydrate and just over about a thousand calories every two, two and a half hours, roughly. Um, so in it, or I should say two and a half hours, Nate, I assume you would eat a whole lot more. No, this is, no, that's, is that so about spot on for you? Yeah. Like, so you do the reverse math and this is right around the 400 mm -hmm. uh, calories or 100 grams of carbs per hour. Mm -hmm. And that's about the, the maximum can absorb. Yep. Right, Chad? Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you do it between you know two different types of sugar, can't yeah. just be glucose, can't just be fructose. So they yep. find it's like sixty grams of glucose and yep. the remainder in, in uh, yep. fructose, or, or sixty to seventy glucose, thirty fructose, somewhere mm -hmm. around there. Yeah. And I've actually, because of that, what I learned from you, Chad, um, I looked it up and what the, the the kind of things that I'm eating, and I I did the math, and I was naturally eating really? like the right mix, Proper split. Yeah, between um, scratch and the honey stinger products, because <laughs> the honey stinger products are like one to one glucose to fructose. Mm. Isn't that cool? Yeah. But yeah, right around that 400 grams. We, Chad and I, we we don't have any science to back this up, but um, I theorize, theorize that, like, I think that major athletes can absorb more than that. Like mm -hmm. Michael Phelps. Mm -hmm. See how many calories he was eating? Yeah. He's got to be able to absorb more than a thousand yeah. or a hundred grams of carbs every hour. Yeah, he, but I don't, that's a side note. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think the 100 is like a, a good rule of thumb and maybe you can go more, but I doubt it's yeah. just like, it, like we're all going hard, fast. Yeah, exactly. Grams. Everyone's yeah. 100 and more than that. Mm -hmm. It just goes to fat yeah. or it leaks. Yeah. What he ate in order to get to that. Um, so he would have about two and a half servings of goo roctane in his reservoir. He did race with a camelback and then he actually froze his camelback reservoirs the night before. And he would have those frozen. And then the folks from goo and camelback were at the aid stations ready for that. So at the aid stations, he would just put on a new pack with a frozen reservoir on there. And it, it wasn't frozen by that time. It was, you know, probably slushy and, and cold, cold anyway. And it's a so, pretty hot day. Yeah. Oh, super hot. Yeah. Goo Roctane is a uh, gel. So we put gels in. No, his... they, they have a Roctane drink as well. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's like a carbohydrate drink, okay, right? Cool. Yeah. So uh, he had goo Roctane in his reservoir. That was two and a half servings. Then two bottles of goo hydration mix on his bike. Then two packages of goo chews and two packages of goo, goo gels every two and a half to three hours. So that's what he brought in on that. doesn't actually seem like a lot of food if you think of it. Not stretched that out respect. over two and a half hours. But, yeah. Yeah. But when you're doing that sort of thing, and, and if you look at it, the numbers all add up. Um, you know, he's got, when you look at that, those, the, the calories and everything else that come from, uh, from it and the carbs and the sugar and everything else, it all checks out. So the, the uh, stuff. So the heart, we talked about this after Lost and Found, actually, and this shows like he had, he's eating just almost pure carbs, pure sugar, yep. right? Mm -hmm. And after what happens to a lot of people is after many hours of that sweet stuff, you want like something salty, salty. or yeah. fat, like, mm -hmm. and it, but if you look at this, it just makes it harder. Like you still want the hundred grams of carbs, yep. but if you're going to start eating other stuff, like, uh like bacon or something that they put mm -hmm. on yeah. that would taste really good. Uh, it's just harder to digest that food and you're getting more calories and you have more likely to get stomach upset. Craving isn't necessarily the best thing to follow. Right? For speed, right? Yeah. Yeah, but yeah, there's absolutely. that balance, right? Your stomach can get upset too with all the sweets or you stop eating mm -hmm. and yeah. it's even worse. Mm -hmm. But this just shows like 
he is disciplined. Oh, he yeah. sugar for 11 hours. Yes. And he's also extremely well-trained, right? I mean, yeah, Jeff's exactly. one of the most prolific mountain bikers, you know, of this generation. How many so, national championships? Oh, gosh. 22? I think it's somewhere around 20-something yeah. when you look at it all. Because I think he's got like 15 mountain bike and I don't know. It's 15 crazy. Canadian. Yeah, 15 Canadian. And yeah. then he's, yeah, it's amazing. A lot. So, But anyways, it just shows like, right? I, I, I really want them to create like a, a super salty Mm-hmm. Uh, chew or like gel mm-hmm. that I can just mm-hmm. have every like fifth time. Yeah, yeah. Where it's not doesn't taste sweet. I, yeah. I don't know how they could do that, but yeah, savory flavors. Yeah, something yeah. like that. Mm-hmm. But it's hard though because you want the sugar in it, mm-hmm. so you're gonna have to. I don't know what. Know I'm sure people have. Sweet. I'm sure they have. They've tried to do this before, right? <laughs> I like a zingy something with like a zingy flavor with a bit of saltyish saltiness mm-hmm. to it helps with that. And those salted watermelon cliff yes. blocks, I, they get close enough so that it it kind of satisfies that craving <clears> for <throat> me. It's a, and it's and they definitely are on the sweet side still, right? But oh, yeah. they're close enough. I feel like that it kind of you know curbs that. Yeah, for changing me. flavors helps. Yeah, it really does. Even if it's all sweet, just yeah. different flavors. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you can only eat the same thing for so long before you <laughs> yeah. just won't do it anymore. Another thing that I thought was super interesting. So he he flatted, um, and he plugged his tire. And then got back, which... Wait, what does that mean, plug your tire? Yeah, so with tubeless tires, uh, when you flat, you have sealant in there. But sometimes that sealant can't seal a hole, especially when it's like from a large flint rock that slices your tire. And it's like a big hole, right? So a lot of the time, the tire will just fillet open and sealant won't be able to fill that in. So in those cases, you actually want to pack something into that hole. And that's what a tire plug is. It's basically like a, uh, it's a, it's a section of little rope that's very rubbery, and it's got some sticky compound on it. And what you do is you actually, to plug a tire, it has like a little needle that you thread that little tire plug, or they call them sides of bacon, because uh, they kind of look like a little bacon piece. And you just plug that into the hole in your tire all the way in. Then you pull out that little needle that helped you plug it in and it plugs the tire up. So he had to do that once. And that took him about a minute, which was pretty quick for a lot of people plugging a tire and then kept going. And then it started to work its way loose. Uh, and then he lost the tire plug. It came out. So it wasn't a full complete plug. So then he had to stop again and put it back in. But the interesting part to me, and then he actually ended up later on at an aid station, he changed that wheel, which actually ended up leading to him missing that, that split. But I still think it was the smart choice to change out the wheel. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, because even if it's plugged and you can make a plug tire, I've seen somebody riding on a plug tire for over a year, right? They can hold, but is it really worth risking on a big day like that? So it's probably smart of him to change the wheel. But the interesting thing is how he chased back. Like a lot of us, like when we get distance off a group or have a mechanical or something like this, we think, oh man, I'm away from the group. I'm just going to ride as hard as I possibly can until I can catch that group. Right. Hmm. And then once I catch that group, I can rest. He did not do that though. He was distanced from that group. And instead what he did is he rode right around that sweet spot threshold range, at least for this race, you know, it was a lower intensity effort for the whole day. The people at the front of the pack, they're fast and they would, you know, gas it at certain moments, but they, they were smart enough. All those riders know well enough to not push way hard. Right. Mm-hmm. So, so while they were pushing pretty quick to try to get rid of Jeff in that moment, he just settled in right around his threshold and everyone saw he tip up into VO two, every once in a while down to a sweet spot, but he just knew that if he stuck with that, it should be enough. And he, well, ended he kept, up catching a, on. kept a cool head and he's drawing on literal years and years and years of experience. Yeah. And you yeah. see the same thing with the pro tour, or the pro tour, or the grand tour riders, they do mm-hmm. the same thing. They just work their way gradually back through the convoy. Sometimes they have teammates that support them. Sometimes they don't, but they don't do it all at once. It's not a frantic endeavor. Yeah. They have cars too. Yeah, yeah. That's what I'm saying. The convoy. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's, but it's really interesting to see because it's backwards. I think from a lot of our mentality, we panic and then we sprint, you know, yeah. it's yeah. an unnerving situation. It's hard it not to. Yeah. Yeah. So if you guys were in the break and Jeff Kabush 
changed his wheel yeah. and is trying to come back. Would you try to organize that break to be like- For sure. Yeah, right? Yeah. Well, and, let's move. And the thing is, this is gravel, so there's no rules, right? At Kansas. Um, there's no like, you know, there's no gentleman's rules of the road that you see with road. Uh, and yeah, mechanicals, everyone doesn't stop. If one guy gets yeah. a flat, everyone just go, okay, I'm going to slow down. I don't know why that happens back. anywhere, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, no, absolutely. I, that's the time to, time to put the nails down. And something interesting about this too, is that when they would come out of aid stations, like aid stations were a race, mm-hmm. guys weren't skipping the aid stations. They, you know, guys and gals, they, they knew that they needed to use those, but they get to those aid stations. They had people there to help them. And at least at the pointy end of this, and it was a fast, quick, organized endeavor. And then when they got out of the aid stations, if you look, the power was high out of aid stations relative to the rest of the effort, because they were trying to really put the screws to people in times where maybe they need to be adjusting something, something else. And then, you know, if you have four of those aid stations, you know that if you can just dose them with a bit of excess on coming out of each one that it may be enough to, you know, split some folks off. Sure. I'm so, slow at eight Sounds like it worked too. Yeah. And that's, I, we saw that at lost and found yeah. too, you know, it's the guys were just like jamming it out of those aid stations. And they actually did that to Kabush. Yeah. 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 And, and actually that's what happened when he got that flat, he chased on and it was a hard chase this time to get back on. And as soon as he grabbed uh, that wheel, Josh Berry and Ted King boom, took off off the front and he was like, I don't have what it takes to go with that right now. They ended up causing a separation later and it was really cool. You'll get to see it when you look at this post, like we analyzed the heads up battle that he had Mm. at the end of this whole thing, which I mean, we're talking like an absolute, like a serious race, right? This guy burned 9,500 calories, right? Like a huge amount. And at the end of this whole thing, he averages 271 normalized power for over 11 hours. And then he does a 1500 watt sprint at the end too, to end up getting third. How do you guys make a fast aid station stop? Uh, something like this. Yeah. I think that the biggest thing is when you come into it, you have to be prepared. Like I find that if I come into an aid station and I need to have things changed out, I have, and this is something that'll help you on the ride anyway. I keep, I don't just pack. Like if people are going to be packing different nutrition, I don't pack it in different pockets. I pack it all in one pocket. And then I have my empties in another that way I can know where's where, you know, what's where, and I know exactly what I need so then I can call it out and get through quickly. Um, honestly, the fastest way to do an aid station though, is to make sure that you number, have people there. If you can't have people there to help you, then slow to go fast, sort of a theory. Like, you know, you can really screw things up if you panic, drop bottles, do that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. I was thinking uh, a few other things I would open the bottle before I get there. Yeah. And then also there's usually like uh, people there that will, if you can give them your bottles, if they're not doing handups, yep. they'll fill them up for you. Good time for you to rest. Yeah, exactly. So you just give them the bottles and they'll fill it up and then you take it back and you can go. Yeah. Call um, out whatever you need before you get to the aid station. Yep. And I too, I know you guys are different than this, but I open all my nutrition before I start the race mm-hmm. so that I don't have to have deal with any opening mm-hmm. packages or anything like that. Other than goose, I do the same. Yeah. It's goose would be, <laughs> but even with those, um, triathletes, they get, they they'll put multiple back. Well, no, they put multiple goose in a flask. Oh yeah. True. So you, yep. you can ha- put like six goos in one flask. It's mm-hmm. harder to dose it, mm-hmm. but it, it just makes it so much easier yeah. to open it. And you don't have one little flask. Yeah, it'd be bit. easier. Yeah. 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 Then you can make like a, like a seven 11 slurpy cocktail of all of the gels that you plan to use. <laughs> yeah. 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 Different flavors. Yeah. So is it rolling up to all the aid stations? I find myself chanting the things that I need. So like the last mm-hmm. mile or two, just because it's on my mind and I want to make it you know, somewhat quick. Yeah. Um, I just, just know, you know, it's, 
Coke chips bottle trash or something. But, but yeah. either way, I find myself saying those same words over and over, rolling into the aid station. So I'm very clear on what I have to do. It's not it's not something I actually give much thought to. It just kind of takes shape hmm. over the miles leading into the aid station. Um, two more questions that I have before we move on. Uh, Carson City, you guys still wearing backpacks? Mm-hmm. We're doing them. Let's talk about Carson City, actually. Yeah, yeah right now. Let's do that. Yeah, yeah. And I want. I have more questions about tire plugs. Okay. Because I think Perfect. you have a great way <laughs> to do it. Yeah, and we yeah. found out another new tire plug yeah. product. That I think we should also talk about. So. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So uh, Carson City Off Road, it's coming up. Uh, I pre-rode the majority of the course on Saturday, <coughs> forty-three of the fifty-two miles. So if those the people that don't know, Epic Rides is an endurance mountain bike series in the United States, and it's the most popular mountain bike series in the United. States. Uh, they make these awesome courses. It's usually, they usually have like a 50 ish mile variant, a 35 ish, and then a 15 ish mile variant. The pros do the 50, uh, amateurs can do any of the three. And then the pros also do a fat tire crit, uh, beforehand. Uh, so they'll be doing that on Friday. Us average Joes, we race on Saturday and Jans. And then on Sunday, the pros race the 50. So, this one's in our backyard in Carson City. Uh, it's really close to where we're from, but it climbs up to Tahoe. We're looking at like 52 miles and about 6,500 feet of climbing, I figure, after the pre-ride that I did. Legit. Yeah, and the tricky thing is it's more or less one big up and one big down, mm. and you get up almost to 9,000 feet, so we're talking, we're getting close to 3,000 meters. It's not quite, but it's it's high elevation stuff, and it doesn't actually get tricky in terms of technicality until you get up to like that final thousand feet or so, and then it gets some ledgy, some technical stuff. So nice and clever, Goody. great on their end. Um, it's going to be a ton of fun. We're looking forward uh, to it. We did it last year. Um, I did the fifty. You guys did the thirty-five last year, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so different course, but yeah, different. Yeah, very different course, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, it's going to be a, a, a ton of fun. Some, some stuff though. Let's talk about this. We're using hydration packs, all of us, right? Yeah. And that is because, uh, for me at least one, uh, it's, it's, I think it's still going to feel hot, even though like it's going to be what 20 degrees cooler than yeah. it was like yesterday. And we progressively climb higher. We start at like 7am or so 7:30, and I think it's going to be about 53 degrees. It says in the morning then. Start, okay. So chilly. And then, uh, geez, right after that, you know, we keep climbing up toward 9,000 feet. We'll probably be up there within a few hours or within a couple hours, uh, maybe three hours. So if that's the case, uh, geez, it's really, it's still going to be cold up there. Yeah. It, so it's extra weight, but I think I can skip some aid stations then. Mm-hmm. And I found that if I don't drink enough, especially last year there, I have my performance reduces. Oh, yeah. And a lot of times when you're mountain biking, it's much harder to drink mm-hmm. because you're like, you're holding on to bars. For no, it's a life. big process. You have to get the bottle, mm-hmm. you have to take the drink, and then you have to put the bottle back. And that mm-hmm. may sound like no big deal, but when you're <laughs> bouncing around trying to do any one of those things is difficult. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It takes effort every time to reach down. Mm-hmm. But yeah. when you have a hydration pack, it's super easy. Yeah. Granted, this course is uh, a lot of a Jeep trail and fire road versus, you know, technical single track. Uh, it has its technical sections for sure, but it's a lot of that. So sure, you could say it's easier to drink, but man, it's really easy to drink from a hydration. And there's pack. also the, the dirty pot, dirty bottles issue. Oof, I mean, getting yeah. a mouthful of dirt because that's what your bottle is coated in. Yeah. It's it's not pleasant. Yeah. Not How, pleasant. Uh, so what's like the time estimated finish time so people get more context? I, I figure that we'll probably be somewhere around four and a half hours. So for you, four and a half? Yeah. So yeah. for us, probably five and a half? Yeah. So he'll probably be closer to four. We'll be closer to five. That's my guess. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Just for people who are new to the podcast, Jonathan is an extremely good mountain biker, extremely good technical skills. Um, Chad and I have gotten a lot, lot better. I mean, we're probably around even now for technical skills. I'd say I've gone up. <laughs> are you saying that I'm better or you're better? 
I'm still better. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think we've risen at the same rate, but I started yeah. at a higher place. Yeah, I think Chad, I think Chad's pretty solid. Really? Yeah. Okay, well, we shall see. We shall, <laughs> we shall see. Um, and then on packs, everybody always asks this, which packs we're going to use. So we're using the USWE. It's U-S-W-E packs. They're, they're super comfortable. Um, harness style. Yeah, they're like a harness style. And that's the thing. I was like, I don't know if you guys remember before we got packs, but I was like the most anti-pack person. Like I hated riding with packs. Uh, would never do it. Uh, because I hated whenever I was doing like a technical thing, like a little ledge drop or something, my bag was like, oh, you didn't go over the bars? Here you go. I'm going to hit mm -hmm. you in the back of the head to make sure that happens, you know? Um, but this bag stays put really well and you completely forget about it. So um, that's the one we're using. Uh, I'm carrying two CO2s. I'm carrying a little nozzle. I'm carrying a multi-tool, a tire lever, and then I'm also carrying a pump with me. Oh, that so, all sounds just right. That's what you're running Same to. Same thing, yep. I'm doing the hand pump because if I've gotten to a point where tire plugs won't fix a thing or they, they have, and I'm, you know, I'm out of CO2s, I do not want to be stuck up there mm -hmm. and have to take a ride home uh, or ride down in something. So I would much rather uh, just have that hand pump and be able to limp through that way. And it's really light. And I just stash it next to my reservoir. Um, and then tire plugs though. Uh, yeah. So we're using, you can get a couple different variations and a lot of them are kind of involved. Uh, Keegan Swenson actually was the first person that showed us this. And I think it's a really good idea. So he rides for the stands, uh, uh, stands pivot team. And he's actually won He won the last Epic rides race in the pro category. So he's, I'd say he's right. He's up legit. There. Yeah. He's with the favorite. He and Howard Grotz are probably the favorite. So, uh, he actually genuine innovations is a company that makes one that isn't like a little metal sleeve. And we had those ones, but they're heavy. And then it's also a pain because you have to take the little, you have to take it apart and then put the bacon on and put it in. And when your tires leaking like that, you're Every really losing. Yeah. yeah. So it's good if you need to like plug 25 tires on yeah, one. Exactly. Like, right. Like not <laughs> sure. It seems yeah. like it should be in the follow car or something. Right. Mm -hmm. But instead what you can do is you actually just have, what looks like a jumbo thumbtack and, but that thumbtack has like an eye in the needle. So it has a little hole in the end of it. And then what you do is, uh, you take that jumbo thumbtack and we actually, I'm going to be running two of them. So I have two of them. And then you already put the piece of bacon on there before you start the ride. And then the you plug. can, yeah. On the plug. Yeah. I should say. So yeah. Plug. yeah. 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 It's not yeah. really bacon. Yeah. It just <laughs> exactly. Like bacon. Yeah. Um, and then you tape those to the handlebars. So then if you have a flat, all you have to do is just rip it off your handlebar, stick it in, mm -hmm. pull it out and you're ready to go. Exactly. Right. Just Minimal don't... air loss. So maybe you don't even have to pump it up at all. Exactly. Right. Uh, just don't point them upward on your handlebar, pokey little fellas. Yeah. So, so I have them. Um, I have like the, the specialized SWAT storage. So I have a little thing I can open on my bike mm -hmm. and I have one sitting in there, Cool. but you could also, um, I mean, just in a saddlebag, you could put totally. one or two in there mm -hmm. and yeah. how, how long, you know, how much time does that take? Yeah. Not it, long depending long. on how aggressively you tape it. Yeah. It could, could be uh don't tape it too aggressively. Yeah. The reason I bring this up is because this course, I swear you could probably run a latex tube without a tire and not get a flat for the majority of the course. It's like, it's, it's DG, uh, but it's really, it's not sharp rock. It's you hardly ever come across sharp rock until one section. And I pride myself on not getting flats. And by that, I mean, like I'm a line picker, not just a smasher. And I ride pretty light on my bike. And I didn't, I never even saw this rock, but there's a section where 
north, a lot of like random shattered rock around in, in the trees and stuff. And sure enough, one of those things got my, got my tire. So genuine Two innovation tires. makes these smaller ones too, mm -hmm. right? Yes. Yeah, so uh, get those ones. I think they look like a really small screwdriver in yeah. the picture. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then the other product that you saw, this is like more of a training product I mm -hmm. view, but it's, it's a tire plug with CO2 built in. Oh uh, yeah. Dynaplug. Yeah. They make one that's a plug kit and then it's got a CO2 nozzle. So then basically once you puncture it in and you push like that, it fills it up with air too. And then you pull it out really clever. So that's if you're, if you really if didn't have any air in it, mm -hmm. you wouldn't have to like do the second step of, of mm -hmm. loading up with CO2, just all in one. Super clever. Yeah. Right. Like yep. it seems like. Good job, Dynaplug. Yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. That, that, so we, we got those too. And they I, apparently do the job really well too. Mm -hmm. fix some really tough flats. Yeah. yeah. I don't think we've used it yet, right? I haven't I gotten have, a flat no. recently. Yeah, yeah. Knock on wood. <laughs> I just, oh guys, I just did it. Yeah, I just did it. Um, so I guess with that, the, the other thing is left for us to discuss. Well, actually, is there anything else you want to discuss strategy-wise? No. We're all riding our mountain bikes, obviously. Yep. I'm riding my Yeti SB100. You're riding Specialized Epic. Yep. Chad, you're riding your hardtail. Canyon, yep. 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 So cool. So, uh, and then we're doing a live podcast from there. Oh, so yeah. It's going to be, <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's going to be a ton of fun. Uh, this is going to be Saturday. After we race 50 miles, we're somehow going to muster the intelligence, awareness, and wherewithal to be able mm -hmm. to host mm -hmm. a podcast. So uh, it's going to be tricky, uh, but see we'll get it done. See through the beer goggles. See, yeah. if I, <laughs> see if I can form sentences. <laughs> yeah. So uh, we're going to be with Payson McKelvin, the current uh, national marathon or cross country marathon champion. Uh, he's always a threat at Epic rides races to win. And he's a consistent podium guy, uh, at this sort of racing, he's just as much a favorite as anybody else coming into this one. So, uh, Payson McKelvin, he'll be there. He's a Red Bull athlete, rides for Trek and the orange seal off-road team. And then Sophia Gomez, Vijay Fanye, she'll be there. Uh, she rides for the stands pivot team uh, presented by Maxis and, uh, both and Sophia has been finishing on podiums and, and right around there too. So she's, she's just as much a threat too. So it's going to be exciting stuff. We're also going to be 30 on Saturday. We're actually opening for the, for the headlining band. Worthy so, opener. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, Just pump everyone exciting. up right after award ceremonies. It's us. And then the opening band. So. I want Jonathan to be like, how y'all doing? <laughs> I can't hear you. <laughs> I, I hate when people do that so much. I like just cross my arms and don't say a thing. Um, but the other thing we just got like, I think a thousand bottles in oh, yeah. and shirts bottles, and yeah. hats. So we have all this swag stuff um, and we're going to have a little bag with us. So if you see us, come up to us and we'll give you bottle yeah. hat t-shirt. People are cursing us for not making it available to buy right now on the internet. You know? But you, mm -hmm. if you just see us, we'll give it to you. Come find us at an event. And then is this Facebook pull a joke or are we actually doing that? <laughs> yeah, Ooh. we did make this note. Um, I didn't even see it. We're going to put a Facebook poll up in the Facebook podcast group. Chad uh, had, was notorious for cramping last year. Oh yeah. Had it beat and then lost and found beat him hard with the cramps. Yeah. So so, I'm back on track. <laughs> What's back the on question? Track with cramping. What mile will Chad cramp? So we'll put down some options. Uh, we'll put them down in ten mile increments for y'all, and then you can pick at which mile you. think. No, I think cramp. people should just like the mile without going over. Like Price is Right. Yeah, yeah, without going mm. over. Yeah. So not even we don't even need the poll. Just yeah. say it in the comment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that cool. way. And if you you can do tenths of the mile too, yeah, because we'll we'll know. <laughs> nice, I like that. That makes yeah. it more exciting. So, Chad, I don't think you're going to cramp on this one. I don't think I am either. Nice. No. There we go. Yeah, I got everything dialed. I'm saying mile fifty two. Then we'll I give the uh, person a free month of trainer road. Yeah, whoever gets it best. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Or if you don't cramp, 
Nobody gets anything. No one gets anything, Chad. <laughs> there we are. I just get the satisfaction of having done a race without cramping. That's it. Yeah. Actually, my, my guess is whenever you sit down off your bike and you're having your beer and your foot cramps or something. That's after afterwards. that. It doesn't count. <laughs> it doesn't after count. After doesn't cool. count? Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Final things to mention before we get into some questions. Uh, we got some cool new features uh, that are actually, so one's in our iOS app and it should be live. Jeez. And Android app. Yeah. And Android app. Forgive me. Yep. Uh, so that's going to be dynamic warm up and cool down. Uh, do you want to explain that a yep. bit, Nate? Yeah. So long time feature request and i've been using it for a few workouts now and i love it basically uh during your warm-up or cool down sections you can extend it 5 10 15 minutes you can undo it and uh it's just really handy because sometimes on some days you just want to spin like a little bit more Mm -hmm. and it makes the workout feel easier or um afterwards some of the workouts they have short cool downs or sometimes people want to do just 30 minutes of spinning Mm -hmm. so you can just add it and you can do as you can actually add as much as you want you just have to push 15 minutes more and it only happens on during the first earliest easiest uh, segment of the warm-up yep, so yep. typically 50 percent. yep so then on the cool down so let's say you want to some people do an intense workout then they just want to spin for 30 minutes or 60 minutes mm-hmm. you can add that and then just raise the intensity to whatever target you want mm-hmm. that way you don't have to do a another workout afterwards yeah. i see that a lot someone will yeah. do a vo2 max workout and then and 45 then minutes of easy. or 30 minutes of like Taku yeah, it's really common. Sure. Yeah. Yep. So that's on iOS and Android. We're uh, building it right now for desktop too. So desktop will be a couple weeks behind and we will uh, let you know when that comes out. There we go. Uh, and then another feature for performance analytics. Uh, so for those that don't know, we have ride analysis features that are super cool. They're they're very distilled and just focused on the details that make you faster. So you can pull in your outdoor rides and analyze that on trainroad.com. And uh, we have a new feature so that, you know, a lot of people have seen rides and it looks different than what they see on Strava, right? In yeah. terms of the X axis. Can you want to explain how it's changing? Yeah. It? So we, right now we all focus on, uh, x-axis being time-based and that's because your body really doesn't know how many miles it is it's Mm -hmm. a function of the power you put out and how much time yep um but there are situations where you might want to look at a distance so now you pretty much have a toggle so you can change the x-axis to be distance or time Mm -hmm. um with time uh one one thing can happen is if you stop there could be this gap in there Mm -hmm. and i i think the gap is it's it's really good to see that gap because totally if you um you've seen this on strava too Let's say you go for a 10 minute interval and then you stop and you go for a 10 minute interval. And if you're looking at distance, it'll look like you did 20 minutes all in a row, right? S- and, cheaters. And you, well, you look back <laughs> at it too, Yeah. like a few months and you forget. Later, you and forget, you think, right? oh, I did 40 minutes or something. You know, I exactly. did 20 yep. minutes. Yeah, yeah. Like, exactly. How did I do that? Mm-hmm. Um, but if you have time, you can see that gap. Yeah. One thing though about time too is like the elevation profile doesn't look right because it makes all of the climbs look really elongated mm-hmm. because you're because uh, it takes longer to go on the on the ele- the climb than yeah. on the descent. So the, the climbs will look less steep. The descents will look more steep because you're covering you know yep. that same yeah. But then if you switch it to distance, that then changes. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you want to know you know, how um, fast did I go for these five miles or something like that, or how much power did I put out for these five miles? And that makes it really easy if the x-axis is distant. So there's a place for both. Cool. Um, the default is still time, but now you can just click a button and see distance. Handy stuff. Yep. Nice. Uh, then the last thing I'm going to mention is the uh, <clears throat> a post that we put up on blog.trainerroad.com about the aero takeaways that we got back to time trialing uh, when we did aerodynamic testing at the velodrome with Aerosport. So that's, uh, we, we just put together a few takeaways that we feel like are easy gets for a lot of folks or, or interesting things that they may not have considered. And you can check that out. There's a video on YouTube with it, the whole thing. So can I do my safety reminder? 
Oh yeah, um, yeah, we should yeah. do that. Yeah. So call. Um, my wife did a half marathon up at Squaw Valley, and on the way back on Highway 89, which is like a two road, 65 mile or two lane, 65 mile per hour with mm-hmm. a small shoulder. Mm-hmm. A lot of cyclists use it because you're riding around Tahoe. It was on Ironman Lake Tahoe. Yep. Yep. It was, and um, we saw uh, just afterwards the cops were already, but uh, a, a woman hit a, a cyclist and killed him. Yeah. Right. So we saw like the white sheet and all that. They didn't even have an ambulance yet, but they had the, the cop cars around and you see they're smashed up. Yeah. My wife saw it. She started crying because, you know, you can oh, yeah, imagine yeah. like, yeah. you know, the the thinking that could be you. So yeah. um, I just want to say like, there's a lot of great rides out there that are beautiful, but usually those beautiful rides too, there's there's some of them, some of them that are safe and some of them aren't safe. Yeah. And there's no ride that's worth it, right? Yeah. So like, I just want to say like, for us, there's a couple of rides that we know, like going up, there's a Geiger grade here. Mm-hmm. I actually think that going up a very steep hill mm-hmm. that's twisty is actually pretty safe because the, everyone's Slower going speed. like 10, 15 miles per mm-hmm. hour and everyone's paying attention, mm-hmm. right? It's when you get those back roads where people are going really quick mm-hmm. um, that you you can be in a lot of trouble. Yeah, we have a lot of cyclists listening to this and we all know, like, I think it's a reality that we probably, we try to kind of... Pr- push over our shoulder a bit, you know, and forget about a lot of the time, but it certainly is. It's, it's a dangerous thing that we're doing. And I think that it's always worth us revisiting and reconsidering the, yeah. the things that we're doing, because like you said, this is a fun hobby that we all love, but man, we got to stay safe with it. I love that Garmin Varia thing. Mm-hmm. Cause that's the radar that tells me when cars are coming. So I can, yeah. cause sometimes you, you ride close to the line because there's a bunch of dirt and gravel and Pretty, rocks. Yeah. But mm-hmm. when you know a car's coming, you can go over an extra two feet. Yeah. Right. And you ride in that if for a second can. and maybe you get a flat, but oh, well, You're the also locked. nice thing is it is that you get, um, there's a light on the back mm-hmm. and I think a not enough cyclists, even in the daytime could use a light. I think we should all have one, right? Like, uh, yeah. I think it's not considered cool, yeah. but why not just have one? Have they're, one. they're cheap, right? Yeah. Absolutely. Um, the other thing is riding in groups. Mm-hmm. I feel like groups are more. Uh, it's much safer. Yeah, like it's it's easier for people to pay attention when uh, when a when a driver is riding down the road and they see ten people. It's usually they uh, in my experience they slow down mm-hmm. and they yeah. see and it, and it more raises than one. their awareness too. So even if uh, there are riders strung out in front of that group, now we're on their radar. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the other thing, let's say you ignore that. The other one that I see all the time yeah. is it's uh, you're going on a road. A car passes in front of you for a right then, turn and then immediately does a right turn. Mm-hmm. Like, like they're trying to kill you. Yeah. And the, yeah. so many people we see in professional athletes, uh, Jordan Rapp had this. Keegan Swenson just had it last week. Yep. Um, uh, Matthew, uh, uh, the triathlete. Oh, Matt Russell. Matt Russell. Mm-hmm. He had this, but it was in a race actually too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I think that just be aware like no Strava segment's worth it, no interval's worth it. Just um, just pretend that they're going to turn in front of you. If there's a yeah. spot for them to turn in front of you, they're going to do it. I've had a, some old people almost kill me that way. Yeah, yeah. They pulled right in front of me. I was going like 28 miles per hour, and it's it gets scary, right? Yeah, you have to ride defensively. You have to imagine the worst in each scenario mm-hmm. just so you're prepared for it. Oh, yeah. And as triathletes too, you're in your aero bars, and those cars come by. If they, oh, it's, yeah. it's even more, it's like twice the distance of yep. stopping time. Cause you have to get up and hit your brakes. And then usually the, the TT bikes don't break as well as like a, a disc road oh, yeah, bike yeah, or something. Not. <laughs> yeah. Right. They don't at all. Right. No. <laughs> so just, no. I just want to say for when you do ride outside, those two things, pretend people are going to be in front of you and just stay off those, right. Those, those, 
those sketchy sections of road. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. There's yep. there's probably better road, and if not, there's always trainer road. True story. Yeah. yeah. Yep. And yeah. trails. That's oh yeah, truth. mountain biking. Yeah. As oh, long as you're yeah. not doing something crazy, it's very unlikely, at least at least that I've seen, for people to actually die. Like they have to be doing crazy stuff. Yeah. Very rare. Yeah. Uh, broken collarbones and stuff happens, but that's not so bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Little scuffs on the yeah, knee. It's usually yeah. their mistake, not somebody else's. Yep, exactly right. Or you're, yeah, you're, it's hard. If you're going down at 10 miles per hour, like in your, you're not being a crazy person, it's yeah. hard to hurt yourself. Yeah, really. Seriously. Is. Yep. All right, let's get into Jennifer's question. She says, I get really bad hot feet on rides on over about 90 minutes. Sometimes it feels like walking on hot coals. We should cover what this is. She isn't actually talking about the temperature necessarily mm-hmm. of her it's feet. about hot spots. Yeah, so the more like pressure points, right? Yeah, exactly that. She says, it's mostly my left foot, but sometimes my right on longer rides. I know it's time to replace my shoes and pedals, both of which are quite old, which is at least partly the cause, but it could be other issues. I'm afraid to spend a lot of money on shoes and pedals to find out that it was something else. Uh, so, uh, Chad and actually you too, Nate, you guys mentioned that you both actually had this. Was yeah, it lost prior, to, prior to cramping? This was my most distracting, um, not injury, just annoyance. And, mm. and I actually <clears throat> had some guy roll by me. He was talking to his friend who was asking him how he was doing. He's like, I'm fine, but man, my feet are killing me. Mm. And I was thinking the very same thing at the same time. And then I saw you <laughs> at the A station and that, that was, that was what was weighing most heavily on me huh. is it just, just really hot spots on the feet. I mean, and you can expect it. I don't know how you would avoid it over the course of a 60, 70, I mean, five, six, seven hours of pushing on the very same spot over and over again. I honestly think it's just a matter of time, but you can probably postpone it yeah. with, with better fitting footwear. I used to get them and now I pretty, I can't remember the last time I got hot spots. So, um, and it's, I think that a couple things come with it and they, this is interesting because in your case, uh, your guys's case, it completely refutes this, but in many cases, a, a flexible shoe will cause this and a stiff shoe will remedy this. And that's basically just based around the theory that you have a cleat that's your pressure point. That's your contact point. And then your shoe flexes around that. So it puts a lot more of that pressure on one spot in your foot. Whereas if you have a stiff shoe, it balances that pressure out. And you guys are using the S-Works uh, XC shoes. And yeah, then, super stiff shoes. So they distribute that load pretty very evenly. Well. But, but in my case, they don't fit as well as they could. I mean, I have high arches and I know I don't have enough arch support. So my foot spreads, my forefoot spreads and pushes up against the, mm-hmm. you know, the bounds of the shoes. So I expect some discomfort when I don't have exactly the right shoe for my foot or the right insoles. Yeah. I, I still get some hot spots every once in a while on the same generation S work shoes that you guys have. I don't have those for mountain biking of the previous generation. And those ones actually still, I think fit my foot a little better. So a lot of it also does come down to finding the shoe that fits better. I know mm-hmm. that's, and it's tough though. Like, uh, Jennifer it's said, expensive. it's expensive. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Especially cycling shoes, mm-hmm. but we have had good experience with, I, I did this with my ski boots and I'm about to do it with my cycling shoes where I got custom made orthotics and they're not cheap but oh. they are transferable from shoe to shoe yeah. and they are wondrous. Yeah, do those wear down? It's, it takes a long time. So I have, I, wood, I have the so. same and that's one of the, when I said that like they're gone, like I don't have the problems anymore. Uh-huh. Uh, that's because I'm using custom insoles. So I get, I go to Surefoot. So that's like a huge chain. They're all over North America and Europe, like in Italy and France as well. And they're usually at ski resort towns. Um, mm-hmm. They do have some like in Santa Monica and LA and stuff is it, too. It seems like most ski shops do cycling shoes as well. Um, yeah, yeah. Most will say they, they'll they do them. The, the only tricky thing is sometimes you'll get a ski boot fitter that doesn't understand the nature of the cycling shoe. Yeah. You have to bring your shoes in, but they don't understand the fact that like, for example, uh, when I do my Surefoot ones, I have to make sure that I bring in 
like the cycling insoles. So most cycling insoles, good ones have something like in the specialized ones, they're a metatarsal button, which basically like in the, if you're looking on video right now, but if you kind of make like a somewhat hollow cup with your hand or shallow cup, your foot actually has kind of a hollow in it. And it's in between the ball of your foot and then working outward to the pinky toe on the underside. And in a cycling shoe, since it's absolutely stiff and you're pushing on your toe, you kind of want to support there. And so there's little things that like they'll do slightly differently. The cool thing is if you do surefoot, at least in my situation, when I go there, they actually cut out a specific little metatarsal button and they put that into the insole and they make it soft because it shouldn't be really hard. Uh, they make it soft. So, uh, they last, I know once again, Keegan Swenson, he has uses these things. And I think that he said he gets a couple years, maybe even three years out of these things. Uh, he just goes in every year and they read, they take out the top little cover, the fabric cover. Um, but it's like some sort of a composite material yeah. that they're made. And he rides a lot. So he does a lot. Yeah. <laughs> he did 26 hours last week. That is a lot. That was a lot. And then a cheaper alternative, our alternative to the Surefoot is something both Nate and I have used, which are super feet and mm -hmm. insoles. Yep. I've used those in hiking boots. And I just love them, mm -hmm. but I've yep. never used them in cycling shoes. Yeah. They're, they're all, always an improvement for me, but they're not, they, they don't work quite as well as the custom orthotics. Jennifer, one thing I would say, as far as trying to knock down the cost on this whole thing, which mm -hmm. the costly part is usually buying and returning shoes if they don't work, you know, or buying and selling shoes. Uh, is if you can go to it next time you're in the more major, major metropolitan area that has a lot of different bike shops, or if you do live in one, just go and try those shoes on and ask them if you can bring your bike and spin on a trainer for a bit. And it doesn't have to be long, but ask, ask the shops cause it's worth an ask. And you might find, I know you're not gonna be able to spin for hours, but you might find in, instantly, okay, this shoe would not fit me well. Mm -hmm. uh, so that'll help you at least kind of narrow it down. You can, you can also adjust the tightness of your shoes too. Cause if you over cinch them, that can Ooh. make those hot spots come on much, much quicker. Well, that's what, I, that's what I want to talk about is my hot spot. It was more like, or too loose for that matter. Everywhere, like an inch above my toes down, just felt like it was on fire. And um, I am a toe pointer. Uh -huh. And what I found, which I think it was, is I had the, like the, the toe section of the strap was pretty tight, mm. but the upper was pretty loose. So mm. every time I pedaled, it was kind of jamming my foot into that one spot. Mm -hmm. And um, I was able to fix it during the ride by, I loosen the toe, but then cinch up the, where the, where like the above my arch would be. Yeah. But the hard part is with the specialized ones on me, that boa dial can be, can really hurt so it pushes into the top of your yeah, foot. Yeah, there's like a there's yeah. like a one little sensitive spot there, and they've moved it. And different shoes are better than worse. Yeah, it's not others. just the sole of the foot too. It could be the bridge. I mean, the top of the yeah. foot can suffer just as badly. So yeah, you'll see a lot of brands position those bow dials differently, and uh -huh. we all have differently shaped feet. So mm -hmm. you have to find out which one. But it, but it still comes down to the same thing in all cases: is finding the proper footing, proper fitting footwear. Well, it's mm -hmm. for Jennifer you to try is just a a different tightness uh, on the top of her mm -hmm. shoes. Like mm -hmm. try to make different spots tighter and different parts looser. Yeah, so the shoes she have the shoes she has right now might actually be the ones that fit well they're just not adjusted quite yeah. quite right one we, thing one thing i would say with this too is on the retention system that you have you know if you have like bow if you have a boas boa dials yeah, or experiment straps with that or laces, for sure yeah. And the, the beauty of a bow dial is that it's so easy to adjust on the fly. Mm -hmm. uh, the downside of it is that it has a round platform that is unflexible and then two little straps that can cause some hot spots. Uh, beauty of laces is that you can get something that's ideally dialed in perfectly, but then mm -hmm. if your feet swell or shrink or anything else mm -hmm. like that, then that's a total pain to change. 
uh, straps, honestly, like the cheapest shoes are Velcro straps, right? But I feel like straps- I've had really good luck with not basic always. three straps. Yeah, it? not always. Chad and I just yeah. got Jiro um, super light shoes. Yep. Yeah. Uh, what are they called? Pro light or? I think they're called the pro lights. Yeah. yeah. And straps on laces. They have like, yeah, straps, Velcro straps on laces, super low profile. And I find that I can get that tightness just right. So can I, they've been the best fitting shoes out of the box that I've ever used. Yeah, yep. me too. And I also, um, I think my mountain bike shoes are a little bit too big mm-hmm. and I went down a size in the mm-hmm. Juro and yeah. it feels so much tighter, yep. but I have not had any problems with any pain yep. uh, using that shoe for many hours. And something I would say too, is I thought that I, always, so I have a really high arch. And then I thought that I needed a shoe with a wide forefoot. And I always, uh, for cycling, I always did, uh, hands once I got proper insoles that really supported yeah, my foot. Yeah, your forefoot won't spread as much my when you support the arch. Exactly. My forefoot doesn't flare out. Yeah. So I don't need a shoe with a really wide mm. front end. So if you make sure that, and I know that like a specialized, for example, has different arch heights, which are arch height is one thing, but when you're talking, I know this sounds like a custom insole commercial, but I don't get any cut from this. It's just arch height doesn't really cover it. Like your arch is differently mm. shaped. It may, you know, have a steeper rise to that arc in the beginning or a more gradual one. And then it comes down. And if you have a, if you're trying to hit the height, right, but it's the wrong shape, it can cause so much discomfort. So you really have to find out, you know, uh, find out what it is. And something I like about a company like Jiro is that they don't build in actual, like a, you know, an arch into the base of the shoe. Mm -hmm. They leave that up to the insole. Uh, and I think that specialized has gone back to that for their six, their S work six series. They actually tried to build in a little bit and it, it was, it was annoying because it ended up causing insoles to sit a little strangely. Jiro gives you different, like, um, little, uh, Velcro parts you could put to raise your, uh, arch arch. support. Yeah. 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 Which is nice. Yep. Absolutely. So yeah, those would be our, t- our tips. Um, cold water I have found does not help with hot spots. I, ironically, right with the name. No, because it's not really a temperature <laughs> thing. It's not. It's really yeah, not. Yeah. No. Nope. Uh, Enrique says. Uh, I'm 56 years old and I've been training exclusively for full distance triathlon since three years ago. I'm recovering since April from a tibia injury that will only allow me to swim. Oh, that sounds painful. He says, I'll be ready to jump on the bike again and start training in mid June. The problem is because of the injury, I only have nine weeks until my main event in Montremblant. And I assume that actually in this case, because Enrique submitted this question a while back, he's probably much closer. <laughs> says, Sorry, Enrique. <laughs> just the same. We can all learn from your situation, Enrique. He says, I come from a very solid base for my last year's season. That's I am or I'm ran Canada and world champs. And from the first three months of this year, how many weeks in which phases of the full distance training plans would you recommend me to follow? So uh, I'm going to take a step back with this one. What we're really talking about with this is a common question that we get, which is how do I return to training from an injury? Right. And there, depending on the different scenarios, you know, it can be a number of different, different options for you, but I think it's probably safest to kind of start off with prioritizing base conditioning, right? Yeah, almost always, especially if it's a a long distance or ultra distance. I mean, that's it's all you're going to do all day. You're not going to go out there and gas it from the start. You're not going to put in hard surges. Not if you ride sensibly or run sensibly. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's a, it's, you're doing base work over the course of these events. Mm-hmm. So if you're going to emphasize anything, that's it. And these are the thing, these are the fundamentals that we talked about last week that need to be in place anyway. So if you're, if you're crunched for time, um, regardless of your experience level, I would simply revisit base. 
Hmm. Yeah, it's it's something that I see a lot of people say. Yeah, but the event's so close, so I want to specialize, and you know that that's yeah. But you're, you're you're layering icing on a cake that's not baked yet, so to speak. So it's just uh, doesn't make sense to do it out of order. Gravy on no mashed potatoes. <laughs> well, that would <laughs> or be on terrible. cooked potatoes. I don't, I don't yeah. know. <laughs> yeah, don't just drink gravy. But it's that interesting. I mean, this is so common. This is why triathletes get good at swimming because they usually incur some sort of running injury and and it hobbles them. So they spend their time in the pool. So it's not it's not the worst thing. I like that you've reprioritized and you're becoming. I, I hope a better swimmer, but uh, it's, it's just the sad fact of the matter. Running is uh, impactful and dangerous. Yeah. The, the other thing that, that I uh, I have experienced is you have to like change all of your goals, yeah. right? You're right, very sure. tempted to like whatever that power goal is or that pace goal yeah, for that the goes run. Away. Yeah. yeah. Right. And yeah. it's hard to know what the new pacing goal is because with an Ironman, you obviously have to pace, and pacing is part of like. I would say is one of the disciplines of the sport totally. is being able to pace correctly over 11, 12 hours <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. or more, right? Up to 17. So just that idea of, uh, I would actually be playing it conservatively. I think when you look at most Ironman athletes, they are not finishing strong. They are hobbling in. <laughs> right? Exactly. Yeah, which on an already injured leg just exacerbates the whole issue or the potential for re-injury. Re yeah, you just have to set set expectations, right? I mean, with uh, these events and, you know, you're a type A driven athlete, you have previous results, you're going to compare yourself against, I get it, but you have to, you have to focus on what you can actually do right now and what's best for the long yeah, term. And I think both Nate and I agree on this. Our, our one bit of advice to you, Enrique, would be to, to intersperse some walking yep. with, walk with your run. runs, whether, whether, whether you do it just, you know, every mile on the mile, whether you do it at the aid stations, et cetera, it, it, changes things drastically. You're not just taking tired muscles and running them down to the point where the joints suffer more and more. Mm -hmm. You're giving them little bits of recovery that actually revive the muscles and, and create a more you know supportive environment for those joints. In, in, many, in many cases, walk, walk run, a walk run strategy like that will make you will end up with a faster time. Oh, just trying to it happens. Yeah. It's, uh, it's too, you have to start walking before you need to. Oh, right? really good point. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And I like, I like it time-based. So you know, five minutes running, mm -hmm. 30 seconds walking, five minutes running, 30 seconds walking. You see a lot of triathletes do that, especially if you've never, like if you're not a three hour marathon runner, mm -hmm. like it's it's gonna be it needed. Be, it's, it's not uncommon to see them do faster times running that way too. Yeah. Yeah. And something to add to that, you may, I like the time approach rather than just going based off of feel because you may not feel that it's that, you know, recuperative or anything else like that when you go through it, but it, I promise it will deliver an effect later on. Yep. You know, it's, it's, it's worth it. It's like coasting when you're in the middle of a road race, right? Seriously, and, think about doing a 40 minute interval set. And, but then now every five minutes, take like a 15 second break in that yeah. 40 minute interval set. Yeah. It's suddenly doable. Pedal, pedal at 90% of your threshold for 40 straight minutes or add little 15 second breaks every five minutes and see which, which goes more, yeah. which goes better for you. And, exactly. and you'll maintain the same level of productivity, actually a higher level of productivity, but you'll get the same training benefit from either. Um, mm -hmm. Hal Higdon, famous running coach, mm -hmm. his son ran a two thirty marathon walking all the aid stations. It's impressive. <laughs> right. Like, like that's super impressive. Yeah, that's and I'm guessing there's, I don't think anyone's running two thirties in Ironmans nowadays, right. but, uh, it, it, this, this, it, I'm just saying it, you can go really fast. Yes. Mm -hmm. uh, so don't think that um, it's going to slow me down a bunch. And yeah. especially if you're coming back from an injury. I mean, I think for the age groupers, there's very few people who uh, need to run the whole marathon without stopping. Like you have to be a, a legit, legit high-end runner. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. And be going for like, 
I, I bet you there's a lot of people if we pulled like our Facebook group or Kona qualifiers who walked all the aid stations or did a walk run strategy. Oh yeah. Yeah. I'm sure of it. Right. And especially once you get to Kona, that tends to happen too. That's such a we, brutal we course, see all, So the, uh, like an, high finishing people. Well, these are I mean? the best people in the world. They all Kona qualified, right? Exactly. Um, besides the lottery people, but at the, at the high end, you see a lot of walk runners. Oh yeah. A lot. Yeah. I'd do it. Yeah. I would plan on it. Yeah. yeah. It's just a bit, it's just a, it's, it's not a, it's not a sign of weakness. It's a strategy. If coach yeah. Chad, if coach Chad's willing to walk run, I'm just saying, look at most of my sweet spot workouts. <laughs> I do exactly this thing yeah. because it helps me maintain a higher level of productivity. Otherwise I'd peter out probably, you know, two thirds of the way through mm -hmm. most of these workouts, but I can stretch them because I, I just don't grind myself down to that point. Final point on this, you know, he's got an injury. And when you do take that walk run approach, that'll allow you to hopefully maintain better form, yeah. you know, yeah. and that's, no, that's all, so huge. Less damage on your, mm -hmm. uh, on your joints and exactly. Mm -hmm. Yep. Uh, let's move into Eric's question. Well, he actually has three questions. They're all pretty good. So we'll go through them. He says, I love the podcast guys. I've learned a ton over the past several months, five stars for sure. Thanks man. And if you're wondering that five stars thing, he doesn't, uh, that's talking about ratings. Uh, I realize I say that without saying <laughs> what it is sometimes. So uh, you can go on iTunes and give us a rating. Uh, if you don't feel like we deserve a five star rating, just let us know what we can do first to change that. <laughs> Even better than that. Tell your friends how much you love trainer road. There we are. Perfect. Right. Yeah. Um, he says, I've been training with trainer road since November, raised my FTP from 150 to 230. Holy cow. That's big. He says I had an injury filled with, or injury filled build phase, which I'm going to restart to help get my fitness up further. So thanks for the product uh, for all that you do for the community. Happy to do it. He says on to my three questions. Uh, number one, is this kind of training applicable to running? So he says specifically sweet spot based work and or VO two max workouts. Is this what runners do when they do speed work and long, slow miles? I would love to know if there are any co uh, corollaries between power-based cycling workouts and running workouts to get faster. Yeah, so this type of work is applicable to endurance sports, period. We're, mm. we're training systems here. We're not training um, actual movements. I mean, we are too, but- What do you mean by systems? So, so energy systems. Yeah. So you know, we're looking for aerobic energy delivery and uh, you know, obviously some anaerobic as well, but we're, we're trying to capitalize on the aerobic end of things. But the fact is you condition your body to be able to do this type of work for long periods of time is going to carry over to all sorts of different sports. Mm -hmm. There is a level of specificity that has to be addressed. Obviously, you're not going to be a top end cyclist and then hop in a boat and be a top end rower just like that. <laughs> but the fact <laughs> is you've got the engine so you can, you know, shape it from there. So it, it, you're not necessarily saying that like running is like a, a perfect and 100% crossover to cycling, right? No. Um, or is it like a cross training event, but the goals, as far as what you're doing to the body, you know, in exactly. Terms of the so, so we're trying to cultivate high, high level aerobic fitness and how you, you know, channel that where you steer it is up to you. Case in point, uh, there's the Jack Daniels VDOT system, mm -hmm. very famous running coach might be one of the most famous like pacing systems. So they do, instead of power, they do it based on pace and you, you do a test. And then based on that, you have zones and you go into the website, it's all free. You can type it in. And, um, it is almost exactly like related to power zones and how they, they don't have you in that like tempo zone. They have you endurance stuff or threshold and above like 10 K mm -hmm. pace and above, mm -hmm. which is right around threshold at 10 K pace. Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, the only thing that's different is, um, running has a higher risk of injury. So where Chad could yeah. do sprints three times a week on a bike. Yeah. On a bike. You're not probably doing that most of the time. Yeah. I go um, out and do that on a run. My body's going to break. Yeah. Exactly. Something's going to break. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, so there's more, um, the high intensity work on a bike is more like you can, you can you do, do more, more of it. Right. Yeah. yeah. And it, it usually it de impact. depends on the level. If you're like a high, um, high collegiate level runner or something, you're doing a lot of high intensity, mm -hmm. but I feel like that is 
self-selected. And the only way you make it there is to be able to have the body to be able to take lots of high intensity. Yeah. I mean, look at the top, you know, high intensity, you know, runners in the world, like all the top sprinters and everything else that you see in the Olympics, they are insanely fit people and they're very strong, right? I mean, they're building their bodies around being able to maintain intensity. That's the goal, right? Uh, That sort of work. And the really short sprinters, they're jacked. Yeah. Maybe for multiple reasons of yeah. <laughs> stuff what we see in the past. Who knows? <laughs> but also there's like the the five and ten K runners. They also have probably better body composition than yeah. age groupers do. Yeah. And they are much lighter. Yeah. So uh just ten pounds less yes. is insane amount of less tear on your body. So that's yeah. another reason why uh in general that they'll have you do more like easy running than lots and lots of high intensity yeah. stuff. When the high intensity stuff might get you more fit. But it's just the likelihood of serious injury that takes you out for three, six months is much, much higher. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. His next question, he says, um, what are your thoughts on what's happening in the local cycling community? And I see, I assume he's talking about local, you know, locales throughout, uh, not necessarily our local cycling community because he isn't from our region. He says, and increasing the participation, participation rate in races. Running races are seeing a huge surge of popularity, but from my perspective, bike racing isn't aside from gravel grinders. I'm in the Philly area and there are a ton of races out here, but not as many participants as I would like, or as I would think there should be. If you were in charge, how would you help breathe new life into the racing scene? This is kind of an appropriate question in some respects, because we're getting more involved in our local racing scene. And Nate has actually taken charge. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, I guess this is a good opportunity for us to talk about how to make local race series better, I guess. Um, I have a lot of thoughts on this. Go ahead. I would like to start a race series company. Um, that is maybe my next chapter after training road someday. I don't know, but one thing that I think this, I'm going to go, I'm going to go wild here for a second. Cool. I think, imagine, imagine another sport like basketball and imagine it was all one V one. And there was always these great basketball players there. I would stop showing up because you'd always get beat. But basketball is fun. I think because it's a team sport. And even if you don't score 35 points in a game, you can just do your job and have a ton of fun. I see. I'm tracking. I see where you're going. I think that there should be short crits in the U S where there, the results are only team based, like results of a football game, basketball game. They don't say who the top players scored each one. It's like this team won or this team won. Yeah. Yeah. And all the points, like if we had a trainer road team, uh, you would, so if you do a crit, each spring would be worth points. You'd have different things that are worth points and the overall is worth points, but it's just what team can score the most points. So mm-hmm. put a lot of strategy in that and it doesn't matter. You maybe you don't even have to win the race yeah. It's because right now I feel like it's, it's a lot of individuals and there'll be certain people that kind of win it all yeah, yeah. and you have no chance to win. And even if there is a team, you're not really racing as a team so much as racing in support of a rider or two. Exactly. One rider yeah. gets on the podium, right? Yeah. Yeah. That doesn't yeah. happen in other sports. It should yeah. be a team of stuff and that would be so much more fun to have like mm-hmm. you, you get also get a, a chance to win more, mm-hmm. right? So imagine a crit where there's four or five teams, each with the same amount of people. And even you can do just like you do in basketball, pickup games. So people don't. I think it'd be fun to mix it up. They've done races like this. I watched a couple last year, European races that that, that flipped things on their head and on its head. And it's uh, interesting. It would be really fun to, I think, go there and and who cares if you have the same jersey as another person, but like you almost randomly assign teams every once in a while. That would be really fun to mix it up you and could change pick things it around. Just like basketball. Like, you know, sure. each one, each team captain picks people. Sure. And you just need uh, 
bibs that are like different colored. Yeah. Uh, so that you, numbers, so that you can tell who's on your team. You or guys a, go talk about a strategy. No, it's, it's a paradigm shift, but it's it's merited because I mean, bike races are dying. Plain yeah. and simple, attendance is dying off. So I mean, it's, it's for time for racing. something drastic. Yeah. yeah, for gravel stuff, we see it's through the roof, right? And even for mountain bike, but that racing, was a pretty drastic shift. I yep. mean, that was something that brought on riders who aren't interested in criteriums and road races. Look at mountain bike participation as far as, you know, you have like things like the Epic Ride Series, you have all the junior mountain bike stuff and it, you know, collegiate racing is growing, even the whole thing. So it it can grow, but road racing definitely, I feel like needs an injection. It should be a team sport. So that's, that's Mm -hmm. one of my race series things is going to be a team sport Mm -hmm. and more camaraderie and social aspect. Mm -hmm. Number two, get those race results out Goodness Quickly. gracious, <laughs> I can't tell you the amount of races where they will post it. I mean, at the race, it'll be posted, but then four or five days later, it's on the website. Yeah. Um, the best thing I've seen is um, a lot of sites will have it be live. Yeah. Um, you can just throw it in a Dropbox folder, put a link up for everyone and say, hey, it's all right here. You can get a bit.ly that you have that always links to your Dropbox folder. The technology folder. is there to make this a very simple, easy, quick process. I know. I don't know why it takes so long to update your website with race <laughs> results. Either. Along the, that same line is timing systems, right? Yep. And timing systems aren't as expensive as they used to be. Uh, you could even use some clever ways. I know, for example, Chad and I, we just you know, stopped by in Salt Lake City one time when we were traveling and we ended up picking up a race there. Mm-hmm. And it was a local like Twilight series and they had... Uh, they had a timing chip system on there. Uh, basically the way that it worked, instead of having to pin a dumb number on you, oh, I hate that so much. Instead of having to do a number, you, you just have a little placard and that placard you checked out at the beginning of the year, like a library book. And then you checked it back in and you paid for it. And then you got a refund at the end of it. Mm-hmm. Right. And that little placard had a little RFID chip, I assume in there. And then you just put that on your bike and they said, sure, put it on your seat post. Or if you can't put it on your seat post, you can put it somewhere else. We do the scoring electronically. So it's all taken care of. The other thing that I want is if you, so great timing system, but also give us uh, more information. Mm -hmm. There's a local cross series in Sacramento that does great. And they give you splits for every lap that you do. And then the end, and at the end, the results come out immediately. So as soon as they're, they're actually- I think that's time your race. The the people that do it, time your race, I think is their name. By the time it's printed out, it's already on the website. So it goes to the website first, then they print Mm -hmm. it from the website. Amazing, awesome. right? Yeah. But even Perfect. in road races, like I, I would, uh, it would be great to have splits. Like once you get to an intermediate section, how far is the break away? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. give give more information to people so that they can get more into the racing totally. rather than just an overall triathlons. Please, oh please, give me splits for my swim, my transition, my transitions, my bike, and my run. Yeah. Um, and then give me breakdowns of how I scored in each one of those. Yeah. Because it's it's another interesting thing when you say. You look at it and you go, oh, my, you know, my, my, my bike was fast, my run was fast versus the overall, but my swim was slow. Or my transition is ranked, you know, 150th out of 180. I need to work on that. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, you're doing this anyways. You're like, look through it yourself and you're yeah. like, where is this? But just do it automatically. Race yeah. officials. Ah. <laughs> it's not that hard. Like yeah, courses. Let's talk about that okay. really quick on courses. They don't have to be anything too crazy. And many times best racing happens on a simplified course, right? Like I think a lot of people try to think that the course needs to be something yeah, it does not. out of this world. And, and if you have good racing dynamics, especially like we're talking about with like these team based crits possibly where it's changed up, you could race on a, on a perfectly flat oval. And it is the, is a great, you know, arena for that. Exactly. I think our best local racing happens on a perfectly flat oval. Most basic course, yeah. Yep. And yeah. that's where the racing is the most dynamic and interesting. You think of like, you know, the, the game Go 
it's just simple, right? But yeah. the strategy is insane. Yeah. So you can have simple stuff and insane strategy. And also I think um, what I've seen uh, is kind of a, a, a trend towards at least in the off-road stuff, more technical. Even they say like cross-country is like- Yeah, cross-country. They feel like the salvation for cross-country is to make it more terrifying right now. <laughs> yeah, but that's not a it's way like- it's, it's very strange. <laughs> Let that be uh, yeah. enduro, yeah. right? Yeah. Have cross-country be less technical, more open, or even this, I don't see this enough is where the A course could be technical, but the B and the C can be less technical yeah. <laughs> so that you can um, you have a better like entry path for new riders. On the, on the lines of mountain biking too, you know, we just talked about how the course doesn't have to be anything special. With mountain biking, you have so many opportunities, it really does help. Like if you're talking like a local weekly series, yeah, make them simple. But when you're talking about bigger races, like I think that's the appeal of the Carson City off-road. You're riding above Lake Tahoe, one of the most beautiful lakes in the world, and then you go to a lake above Lake Tahoe and then a mountain above that lake. It's like... It's like one of the most stunning views, right? So make these, and something interesting that they're doing is they aren't necessarily aiming to make like with epic rides, the people that do those races, they aren't making these like a really technical, nasty, gnarly. Mm. In fact, they don't even call it cross country. They call it back country because that's kind of like their focus. They just want you to have an amazing ride on the bike more or less. So it's, it's not like there are different priorities, especially with mountain biking, I think. One thing that I really enjoy, it, we had a local series and unfortunately I don't think it's going to happen this year either. It didn't happen last year, but up at North star, which is a really big resort up here and a uh, bike park and everything else, but it's really nice amenities. So then if your family does come, uh, to those events, like, you know, my wife can go shopping when she's there, she can go hiking when she's there. She, they can go to the pool. Like there are fun things to do, which is really cool. And then afterward, event promoters would always do award ceremonies, right? Like a pizza restaurant and pub, right? Mm -hmm. So everyone mm -hmm. kind of had that social experience after the race. Now it's like one of the only races I've seen where people don't just rush off at the end, right? Everyone wanted to hang out afterward because it's a nice place to be. Yeah. Um, another thing I think for mountain bike, do short track stuff yeah. where, uh, that's a, again, for new people, they can see things multiple times, but also for spectators, it's fun. Yeah. And if you're giving, combine that with the, the good splits, you can see okay. like, am I fading? Am I pacing well? Um, elimination races would be fun. Yeah. Where the slowest, so what that does is you do short track, but then the slowest person each lap gets removed. Totally. You just keep removing mm -hmm. and removing cool. and removing and see how long you can last. Yeah, anytime for. you make it more spectator friendly, mm -hmm. it's going to become more enticing to, to to really anybody to put on races, to sponsor races, to attend races. But the, the uh, uh, doing that elimination race is, so I know I'm not going to win an A race here mm -hmm. locally, especially when Jonathan's there. But it's a win if I go from, eighth the seventh like next time right did i make it totally. one extra place sure. um yeah. that's fun another thing is i think for road racing and this is this is more for me but i don't do the road races when there are 50 mile per hour downhills in a group um it's just scary for me and yeah, it does you not don't need that racks to risk it's a big exactly. risk like, yeah uh, going up to 30 that's fun that's plenty fast for me but i would i would design courses where you don't have those like if there is a mistake or someone else makes a mistake, you might get seriously hurt or die, mm -hmm. right? Like, yeah, yeah. Like that's organize them. So it's like that. We don't need those. Yeah. I think the final thing is take time. A lot of people I see like get really excited with events and then they kind of fizzle out. Yeah. It takes time to build these things for sure. Many years to build many, up many a good years. event. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, okay. And then you got all riled up. I know. <laughs> yeah. It's a uh, hot button issue for you. Question three. And then I guess we'll have, uh, I think we'll have time for one more question after that. But, um, so it says number three, you've mentioned that a short back pedal during a sweet spot interval can help keep the quality of that workout high while also providing a mental break to help get through it. Like we were just talking about with the walk run strategy exactly, and yeah. how you do it in the sweet spot intervals too, Chad. What other hacks can we use for workouts like VO2 max interval intervals, anaerobic sprint workouts like Spanish needle. That's a workout on trainer road and over unders. So I guess this is more like a coping hacks or ways to get through it. Yeah. Just a way to tailor things to maximize their productivity and not worry so much about abiding strictly by their structure. Mm -hmm. We don't have to get everything just right to derive the training benefit that we're after. So if you're clear on that, then how you alter it should be a little more obvious. I hope. Mm -hmm. well, sorry. One thing to add really quick is like a preface to this. It's your famous quote uh, that people talk about all the time is which one fatigue. Yeah, <laughs> this one, right? uh, fatigue is no excuse for bad form. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Not. Yeah. And when we're talking about these ones that are really fatiguing, when you're talking about like repeats or anything else like that, you see people kind of slogging through something and yeah, just trying to get through it because they feel they have to, yeah. even though they're flying in the face of the actual purpose. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. you miss the boat sometimes. Yeah. Right? So it doesn't, I mean, it, it, for like a three minute VO two max interval, it's not going to be vastly more productive if you stretch two minutes to 45 seconds to three minutes, but fall apart in that last 15 seconds. Mm -hmm. And in that three minutes, there's nothing magical that happens right at three minutes. We're looking to stress the system, do it repeatedly and benefit from it. So just in, in the case of that interval in particular, maybe you trim it a little bit short. Maybe you pause the workout and take a little little more recovery during the break. I mean, some of these things might influence some of the intended outcome of the workout, but it's not going to change it so much that you've wasted your time. Mm -hmm. You will, however, have wasted your time if, you know, something that's supposed to be at 120% can't be performed anything over 110% because you're so tired and you're struggling. Mm -hmm. So just recognize when you've passed the point of productivity and, and figure out how you can tailor the workout. And it's really not that hard. Yeah. Just trim down the harder stuff. If, if it's something like Spanish Needle or the Microburst where we're 15 on, 15 off, Skip a 15 on one time and get back in there. But in any case, make, make the overall productivity of the workout or the set of intervals your, your highest concern. One thing that I find in another uh, Coach Chad workout text suggestion, uh, during all the Trainer Road workouts, there's workout text. Uh, those that use Trainer Road know it well. Um, to start breathing early. Uh, early and often, like yeah. rather than waiting until you're like, oh, no, as obvious as it sounds. <laughs> yeah. And I cue that quite often because I would watch it in the bike classes. I would see people all pursed up and, and, <laughs> and mouths are closed or they're super narrow. And I know they're not getting a lot of air because they're just tense looking at the, the workout. I have fallen victim to this very thing with the sprint workouts I'm doing right now. They're only 30 seconds and I'll get 10 seconds into one before I start breathing. <laughs> and it, it derails the, the, the interval, it's sort of the sprint. So now I start my huffing and puffing well before it just establish the rhythm. So it's, it's there. I don't have to think about it. And I have much better sprints as a result. Yeah. I love the idea of Chad, like instructing himself, <laughs> like, come on, Chad, breathe. Cause he knows he's not going to do it. Yeah. He has, he has Chad it. mode in the app where like yeah. the workout text just like disappears and it's just him. Um, the downhill skiers do this, uh, and uh, downhill mountain bikers, downhill and enduro riders, you yeah. hear them in the start get in the start gate and they are breathing. I'm not going to do it in the microphone right now, but they're, they're powerfully yeah. exhaling and sure. they're controlling their rhythm. And Fabian Burrell, I've mentioned this before on the podcast, but he's a, uh, you know, a legendary you know, downhill and enduro racer. Uh, and he 
you would hear him coming from so far down the trail <laughs> and it would be his breath, right? And he basically just had a rhythm that he would sustain from top to bottom and he would try mm -hmm. to stick with that. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a powerful example of something that you can implement at a smaller scale. And I find that whenever I'm doing these workouts, if I'm remembering before I get into that, in, into that set of intervals, when I'm actually in the rest interval, I'm controlling my breathing, making sure that it's being something that I'm, you know, I'm focused on. I always, every single time without fail, will have a better set of intervals then, than I, than if I go into it and I just think, oh, I don't need to well, breathe hard right now. Eric and then touches I wait, on a, you know? an important point too, is that it provides a mental break. So mm -hmm. even if you are focused on your breathing, maybe you get a little distracted and in any, in any case, something suffers because you simply can't focus as mentally as strongly as you had. So these little breaks do more than just revive, you know, re revive systems physiologically. There's also a mental aspect to it, a psychological one mm -hmm. that can really impact the quality of the workout. Is there anything else you do to cope with or get through hard work, hard sets or intervals? Maybe? Yeah. I do, um, a lot of music. Yeah. 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 That's Music's great. That's the, the biggest thing. I'm just starting to do more, uh, this is a little side note, but it's interesting for other people. You've recently, I've gone down in performance from like my peak in January. Mm -hmm. And I talked to Chad about this and he is lucky. He is nice enough. I'm hopefully he's giving me good advice. <laughs> you know, the TT is coming up, yeah. but, uh, we discussed what I had done and kind of leading up to my peak. I was doing coming right off cross season. So a bunch of intensity. Then I was doing a bunch of sweet spot work with mountain bike races and where the mountain bike races were intense. I just looked at one for, it was like an hour and 20 minutes with 25 minutes above 400 Watts. Wow. So it was, so I was spring, even though my trainer road workouts were a sweet spot, I was sprinkling in sprinkling some hard stuff hmm. recently. It's all been total, sweet spot, total lack of intensity, yeah. total lack of intensity, no time over thresh or above threshold. Mm -hmm. And Chad said, well, there's your problem right yeah. there. It's great base work, but you know, yeah. that's about all it is. Exactly. So I've been adding that in and I, I totally agree with what you said, Chad is workouts that are like on off and sometimes you're brutal and there'll be like 20 of those in a row, yeah. but you skip one of those and it feels like a three minute break. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's crazy how fast your body will recharge that system. It's with pretty impressive. One skip of it rather than mm -hmm. giving up. Yeah. Cause your body or just going to the point of failure and, and skipping the last half of the set of intervals. Yeah, yeah, exactly. If you go too far, it's just like the walk run, yeah. right? Yeah. Where you, you give up and then you have to, you, uh, you just turn off the app cause you're you're frustrated with because you can't mm -hmm. muster the energy to do the next interval. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Workout quality, just, just whatever, whatever you can do that supports the, that aim mm -hmm. high workout quality. Yep. All right. I think the last question, and this is going to be a big one for us here. Uh, last one is going to be Nathan's question. So he says, hi, trainer road. Awesome podcast as always. My question is regarding form and just what this elusive thing is. This is sparked from my, from my personal experiences, but also mainly from the recent antics in the Giro where two contenders Yates and Pinot were in very good form. And then in the space of a few days, it fell off a cliff while other contenders, namely Froome had sporadic form, which then turned into amazing form. And lastly, other contenders like Fabio Aru, who were surely expecting good form and for it not to be anywhere in sight. Uh, so he says, I believe form is a relationship between fatigue and freshness, but how can the body seemingly flick a switch like that? Or is it just because pros tread such a fine line or such a fine line? Forgive me for us mere mortals. I guess the line's a little more blurred between form 
not and not, but I've definitely had periods, forgive me, where over the last decade where I've felt amazing and then others where I've trained and similar structure and timing then feel only feel okay. So a discussion on form, I guess, is what he's asking for. Yeah, and I actually use this question as more of an opportunity to, to, to steer away from talking about pro tour riders and more toward the rest of us and how it relates to training and overtraining. Much more germane. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So, yeah. so let's instead use this as an opportunity to discuss overtraining because mm -hmm. we've gotten this question a lot and I don't think we've ever really dove into it to a point where we sufficiently covered it. Mm -hmm. Um so I'll talk about just the three stages of overtraining. I'll try to make it quick, uh, quickish, cool. but, but thorough. Uh, but before I get to the, the specifics of each stage, let's just talk about overtraining in general. Mm -hmm. um, it typically takes a couple, couple few weeks for you to manifest symptoms. So a little bit of fatigue after a workout isn't cause for you to think, oh, I'm overtrained. I need to take some time <laughs> off. We, we deal with fatigue on a routine basis. That's just the nature of what we do. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, how long it takes to manifest though is conditioning dependent mm -hmm. in that if you're straight off the couch, you can overtrain or put yourself in a state of overtraining much more quickly than a, a seasoned professional rider who can handle a heck of a lot of stress. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't have to be three weeks of hitting it hard before you're officially into the overtraining waters that can happen much sooner if you're deconditioned. One thing I want to say too, like, you know, we'll go into the stages of, of, of overtraining and, and how, you know, it isn't even necessarily, you know, a terrible thing to, to touch into no, the lower no. portions of it. It's a necessary thing. Um, but I, I find a lot of athletes, you know, they'll, they'll, they, you know, the training's going great and then they have a hard workout and they have a bad race. And then suddenly the question is like, ah, am I, am I overtraining? Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and it's a, and valid it's question. Easy to question that. So I want you all to kind of like take a step back. And one thing, just like an anecdote, is I I, I very rarely see an athlete that's really getting into the part part of overtraining that's really actually. No, we've talked about before. You have to be um, pretty pretty uh, okay with suffering to push yourself to a point of actual overtraining syndrome. So what signs, I guess, would you be looking for uh, from overtraining? Sure. So the more overt ones, and this is just overtraining in general. We're not mm -hmm. going to get you know how far along the continuum you are. Just poor performance. Is, is an easy one. Mm -hmm. Fatigue, illness, um, weight loss, but not necessarily fat loss, mm -hmm. uh, low quality sleep, abnormal hunger. And that could be cravings for things. It can be a loss of appetite. So that, it varies depending on how far you've pushed things. Mm -hmm. um, it, it can affect your menstrual cycle for, for women, obviously. Unusual muscle soreness. I mean, we always deal with muscle soreness, but when it's like, um, it just sticks, it won't go away. You can't seem to do anything about it or it's excessive. Mm -hmm. Things like that are cause for concern. Uh, altered moods, for mm -hmm. sure. Um, and then there's those, those are more overt. There are subtler things, which, you know, can be as substantial as bone loss, as muscle wow. loss. I mean, elevated hormone levels, things you can't necessarily see, but you can see their effects. Mm -hmm. And I basically just described those effects. But if you keep it really simple, there are five basics. You look at your mood, you look at your energy level, the quality of your sleep, the quality of your performance and any illness. Hmm. That's it. If, if those five things are out of whack, any one of those things can show you, you know, I'm a little overreached. Any combination of those things is when you start to worry. Hmm. Yeah. Cause I mean, we're always kind of trying to find that balance point with all of those things. You yeah. Know? You're always going to, I mean, they're not always going to be perfectly in line, but, but when a high combination of them, three, you know, two, three, four, four, all five of those things are out of whack, you've, you've, um, you're pushing to a point of under productivity or, or you're missing 
missing right. out on a lot of the benefit you're you're slaying yourself to achieve. So I mean, clearly not all fatigue is bad, right? Like we want to we want to be able to dose the body with some work exactly. that cause fatigue. So, so this would be a good place to branch into you know the types of overtraining. So we have um, functional overtraining, hmm. and then two forms of non-functional, which I'll get to in a minute. But functional overtraining is it's been termed overreaching. So you probably heard that term a number of times, I'm sure. And that's training. That's what we do. <laughs> so we overtrain, training. <laughs> push push ourselves to a point where our body isn't comfortable. You know, we disrupt that homeostasis, ask, ask it to do things that it's not accustomed to recover. And then we get stronger. Hmm. So functional overtraining or overreaching or just training is, is a necessary component of what we do. Mm -hmm. This is like in part of a training plan where Sunday I'm more tired than Tuesday. Yeah. So Monday's my rest day. That's it. I get more strong yep. or get stronger. Yep. And, and, and the signs, any of those signs that I just discussed are going to be subtle. They're going to be mm -hmm. there because your body's tired and it's trying to rebound from stress that you inflicted on it. So this is this is part and parcel, and this is it's simply dealt with. We have recovery days, we have recovery <laughs> weeks, and then we alternate hard, easy days. So 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 we try to to maintain or uh, manage that that overreaching yeah. such that we never push ourselves into these latter stages, which we'll talk about next. Do you guys find that after hard workouts you sleep worse? Depending. Depends, yeah. Yeah, I mean, and, and this is another sign. Once your sleep starts to become disrupted, that's that's indications of things that aren't riding themselves maybe as quickly as they should. For me, you know, elevated cortisol levels, elevated uh, epinephrine, either way, just uh, hormones and things that are in your bloodstream at too high levels. I, I always find that it's tricky to, like, if I do a workout, you know, relatively soon before, I, even like when we race at like 7 PM, you know, or six, you know, six 30 area, you know, in the evening. Mm. And then that race goes until around eight o'clock. I, that's usually hard for me to sleep because the workout's nice, right? so Possible. close. Yeah. Right. Uh, so there's, there's one thing about the workout, you know, being hard for, you know, the question of it being too hard or too much training, you know, but then there's also, if you're the type of person that's doing the workout right before you go to bed or something like that, you can kind of expect to have some sort of. Yeah. So, so if you had a sleep disruption because you're racing at seven o'clock at night yeah. and you can't sleep at nine, that's not what I'm talking about. I, I'm talking about like <clears throat> after lost and found, you're done by like one o'clock, but everyone, everyone jokes, you're going to sleep well tonight. Yeah. I'm like, no, actually, no. I'm probably going to have night sweats and wake up like <laughs> yeah. 15 times tonight yeah. and be super tired tomorrow. Again. <laughs> like, so, I mean, when we just dial it back to or look back to disrupting homeostasis, you know, our body's natural balanced state something like lost and found where we're out there for six, seven hours mm. in heat, okay. working hard the whole time, not eating foods were, that are ideal for us, et, et cetera. You can't expect your body to just snap right back and, and soak in a, a night's sleep. It was really hard. I was driving around in my truck and shooting photos. <laughs> Tragic. Yeah, six hours for some, seven yeah. for others. <laughs> oh, <laughs> little zinger there, huh? Yeah. <laughs> so I guess that's the, the functional stage of overreaching, right? Yeah. So, so, so that's, that's like what we're actually looking for that. Yeah. I mean, that's going to happen. It's it's necessary. So where does it get to the point where it starts to become detrimental? And, and that's that's the tough part of this is there's no finite spot. There, there is no switch. There's no... Uh, I'm feeling good. I'm, I'm, I'm overreaching and I'm rebounding. And now I'm just, you just have to easy look at those same symptoms and those, they just become a bit magnified, a bit exacerbated. So once you start to see any of those things decline further mm. and after your rest days, recovery days, your alternate workouts, alternate days of intensity, if things aren't rebounding, that's when you think, you know, now maybe is time for a full recovery week or now, now I maybe need to steer clear of high intensity training for a while. And once again, that's the mood, energy, sleep, performance, illness. Those are the things yeah. you want to keep in. Yep. And this is, so it, it's broken down into two things. 
one being worse than the other. First, there's sympathetic overtraining, where your okay. fight or flight system is is ramped up at, at too high levels. It's staying staying there and it's not coming down. And symptoms of that are still, you know, just a further decline in performance. Um, mm-hmm. it, this is commonly where you see that increased resting heart rate. Your mm-hmm. heart rate's up and it just won't come down every morning. It's five, ten BPM higher than usual. Mm-hmm. Um, just general restlessness or overexcitability. So again, mood. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, the quality of your sleep suffers even further. Cortisol's up, stays up, and that's very disruptive when it comes to, to trying to turn things off at night. So um, I guess, are there any more, I guess, on the subtle side of things? Do you just expect the same symptoms and yeah, just kind of get it, worse? Things that you can't really measure. So, I mean, like I said, we can see the symptoms of it, but we don't know that we're, we're experiencing some form of adrenal dysfunction and that our cortisol levels are actually high. We can only you know, theorize based on the fact that I'm fidgety, I can't sleep, um, I'm, I'm losing weight, but not mm-hmm. losing fat, et cetera. So this is really just like when you're starting to see like more of a pattern, I guess, in in the decline in those mm-hmm. five things and this, rather than just like sporadic, you know. Exactly. Stuff. And this is time where if you are are concerned, yeah, you can back off your training or you can visit a physician or you can do a salivary test. I don't know if you'd, I'd recommend sending away for a salivary test. This is something that needs to be dealt with a little more closely to, yeah. to the actual event. Uh, and even blood work. So you can see what's going on in there. Have mm-hmm. I pushed myself to a point where this is something I need to address more more thoroughly, seriously? Blood work is a vague term interpreted by <laughs> many people. Even yeah, but, but I mean, if you way. have a good sports nutri- or a sports <laughs> physician, then yeah. they'll know what sort of blood work they need to run. Yeah, I was referring to the blood work that's been oh, done traditionally. <laughs> okay, and then, and then push, that, push that even further. So to take this already non-functional form of overreaching or overtraining and push it further, and then you verge into parasympathetic. Mm. So your rest and relax system is is on overdrive because it's it's your body has just been pushed to the point where it's really fighting itself now trying to tone things back down to restore that homeostasis and this is where things get extreme the neurological impacts the hormonal impacts all those things that were subtle are less subtle they're they're more overt and and obviously performance isn't isn't taking place at a high level so this is the spiral at the at the lower end of things yeah, um, and this is when you know that high ex- that high resting heart rate becomes a low resting heart rate, a heart rate you simply can't elevate, no matter how hard you try. Yeah. Should you branch into this? Should you actually experience full on overtraining syndrome? This is this is the long term rebound. This can take six months. It can take two years, and over the course of that, you can't do a heck of a lot. Yeah. So should you go this far? I mean, this is where you absolutely need to be involving a physician and taking this very, very seriously. Yeah, like you see this every once in a while with riders in the pro peloton that like, you know, they have like a, you know, a rise, a rise, a rise, and they try to, you know, they may have like a great result or something like that. They try to maintain it and they take some time off um, mm-hmm. from, from racing and then they come back and they're, you know, they're stronger. It's, it's, it. I've rarely seen people actually getting into like the, the, you know, these sort of states where it gets really deep and it gets really difficult. It's pretty rare. Mm-hmm. You really have to push past a lot of really bad yeah, signs. Most people just push to a point where they're continuously flat. They don't ever, mm. you know, they're, they're already having a hard time. So they don't up their training demand that when it gets dangerous is when you're, you're on this downward trajectory and you increase your training or something mm-hmm. else outside stressors are, are really flaring. You're not addressing your, uh, your nutrition as well as you were, uh, or maybe you never were. Um, but either way, it's, you're on the slippery slope and you're not fighting it at all. You're kind of giving into it. It happens with pro triathletes because, uh, oh, yeah. they have you know, three sports, right? So it's just yeah, easy. Just I can to think, understand that. Perfectly. I need to do more and more and more, do 30 hours a week of yeah. three sports. Uh, yeah. And that's the common, that's like the knee jerk reaction, right? I was go, I was really fit and now my fitness is going away. I need to train more when yeah. in fact you're, you're overreached to the point where that's the last thing you need. Yeah. So I guess let's talk about that. Some things that you could do, I guess. To yeah. So, fix that. so, and, and this is going to depend on the severity of the over, over training state that you've reached, yeah. but in general, um, more recovery, better sleep. 
uh, and probably less work. And that might mean less work in general. It might just mean omitting your high intensity for a short while. Mm. So maybe you just tone things down and do, do a, an aerobic recovery block for a couple of weeks and see how, how you respond. Yeah. Um, the further are you down this, the further are you are down this whole um, path. Obviously, the more severe those those uh, improvements or repairs have to be. I'd have to think that nutrition has to play a huge role too here. Like, it, you know, a lot of athletes get to the point, especially, you know, cyclists are chasing power to weight constantly, right? Mm -hmm. So you get into a situation where you find something that's worked to be able to drop weight and you get stuck on that. Yeah, so you're undernourishing. Training ramps up, but mm -hmm. then you haven't, you know, changed the way that you're eating at all. Mm -hmm. And then you find yourself- Yes, and undernourishing is quite simply a form of overtraining. Chad, yep. can't having too low body fat, uh, sure. especially the pro, like- a affect this yeah, affect yeah. your hormones yeah absolutely i mean it, it, it's it just can it's that simple yeah mm -hmm. yeah you can have too low of bmi yeah and, and i i would assume that if you're extremely fatigued uh you'd be bringing in quite a lot of coffee perhaps right trying to get yeah and those thing. stimulants don't always i mean in, in the case of when you've already taxed a system that that is dealing with too much stimulus and you're pouring more on top of it in the form of caffeine or, or whatever else you can't really expect mm -hmm. improvement yeah, some some of this stuff too. I guess like you could be interpreting like overtraining, but like you said, the stresses that may be added into your life, it could be those too. Like you you have to consider all the different yeah. circumstances because it may be a temporary effect from something like Absolutely. You know, yeah. yeah. And and it comes at you from all sides. So so some of the more common ones are students dealing with finals. I mean, you're already under a, a heavy workload with with the class load itself, but then it culminates in those finals where the stress ramps up further. And if during those times you maybe have a competition that lines up with it and so you're stressing your body even more, mm -hmm. that's that's absolutely not common can certainly lead to a, a non-functional form of overtraining. I'm um, just, just moving toddlers. Yeah. Traveling, traveling with kids, <laughs> just, just, just toddlers, <laughs> yeah, toddlers yeah. in general, <laughs> just kids. <laughs> and then of course, you know, relationships and, and all the things that come with that, whether you're in a tough spot, uh, you just had a, a single fight, maybe you lost a loved one. I mean, all these things are forms of stress that can take a far greater toll than I think people give them credit. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like that was a good walkthrough on, on overtraining. Um, you know, when you look at the, the pro athletes and how they did it, I think a lot of it, that what we saw was just, you know, riders trying to time things differently, you know? Yeah. And they do. I mean, a lot of riders come into a grand tour or they know they have to be fit for three weeks uh -huh. that, at a, at a relatively low end or low level of fitness. Cause they know they're going to gain fitness over the course of it. Yeah. And then others have top fitness at the start of it and they exploit it and then they end up petering out yeah. mm -hmm. and then some just don't achieve it for whatever reason, they can't reach it. Aru was the, you know, the prime example and he, I he basically demolished my I feel like Yates. fantasy Giro. <laughs> Thanks, Aru. Yeah. Uh, I feel like, I feel like Yates sag climbed the Giro, not in his climbing, but in the sense that he just came in hot yeah. and then, you know, and it, it was impressive, man. And it didn't end up working out, but Froome, it looked like he timed it so that he or he knew that he was going to work his way into form and, and, you know, find it there. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure. <clears throat> I mean, when you're talking about the training that these guys are going into and doing all this, you know, they need some serious time to recover after these grand tours. Um, but I think that this is much more what they're, what you're viewing there is much more that balance of, of, of freshness and, and, and fitness and trying to find that spot. Yeah. And it's hard to do like, <laughs> yeah. these are people with entire teams behind it to try to get the just right mm -hmm. and they're messing it up. Oh, right. Yeah. So, uh, give yourself some slack and it's not, I mean, it's yeah. Even these guys get it wrong. Yeah, totally. exactly. Yeah. And these guys have sports scientists behind them, like running yeah. numbers on all the data that they have. It happens. Um, and also just because they can do it for three weeks, remember that, that the, the fact that they're doing the grand tours means that they are an 
absolutely exceptional human specimen, right? That they're able to, to do that. So, yeah. you know, don't go hard on yourself because at the end of a three day stage race, you feel fatigued. Uh, welcome to that's all of us, right? That's like, that's how it works. So mm-hmm. I know I just remember after single track six, how horrendous I felt, you know, felt pretty good. That one. <laughs> you felt great. <laughs> after one day of racing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I felt pretty worked. So, uh, the final thing that I'm just going to say on this one is I'm going to wish Kendrick a belated happy birthday. Uh, that was a request happy from birthday, his wife. Kendrick. Yep, absolutely. So, uh, thanks everybody for joining us. Remember, uh, if you're on us with a live stream, just stick with us. We'll answer some of the questions that you've submitted now and, uh, we'll go through all throughout the podcast. So stick with us and we'll answer those. If you aren't joining us on the live stream, you can do so next week or usually live Thursdays, and that's usually at 8 a.m. Pacific. If you're going to be at Carson City Off-Road, please join us. It's going to be Saturday at 4.30 p.m. at at the main stage. It's going to be exciting stuff. And if you want some swag, hit us up there, and we'll give you a bottle, shirt, some stickers, some stuff like that. So we'll have it all with us. And with that, um, remember, you can go to trainerroad.com slash podcast, submit your questions. If you like what we're doing, uh, of course, or if you want to support us in any way, this obviously isn't like, you know, we don't have a mattress company running ads on this or something like, or a food service company. Not yet. Yeah. <laughs> Coming soon. No jo- joking. Uh, if you do want to support us though, and, and you feel like this is something you get value from, go to trainerroad.com, check it out and uh, see if that's something that you're interested in or share that with people that you do know who'd be interested in that. We appreciate it. Uh, we'll talk to you all next week. Thanks, everybody. Bye-bye.